Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 257 on this, our Halloween episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, we visit with Linda Bouchard, author of The Witches 3, Count on Me, an enchanting picture book about a mischievous boy who was kidnapped by three witches on Halloween night only to escape using his wits. Inspired by her late husband and co-author Yates Davis and with beautiful illustrations by Cody Kratzer, this Halloween tale is perfect for young readers and adults alike. Mary Jo Clark, New York Times bestselling author of the Piper Donovan Mysteries, had this to say about the book. Imaginative, fun, and oh so clever. The Witches Three, Count on Me, casts a captivating spell on readers young and old. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a uh, recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, We put out a lot of content on that page, and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Linda, welcome to the show. Landis, it is so nice to be with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Now, uh, we know each other uh, from the from the book world. Uh, you know, you run a podcast, Literary Latte, which I have appeared on. You run a, mm-hmm. a book marketing business for, for Southern authors. You sent authors my way. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I've actually appeared, you've appeared on a panel I moderated for the Charlotte Writers Club on book marketing. So we've known each other. But now, Linda, right. the tables are turned a bit on you because you're now the author of a book and you're appearing on other podcasts and marketing books. So how does it feel this shift from marketing other people's books to having your own book? Oh my gosh. Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> it is quite 
a change because, you know, although I have been doing this for over two decades, um, you know, now I have a personal understanding of the vulnerability of putting your entire self out there to be judged. <laughs> it's um, it's really been a roller coaster ride on many levels, but I feel like um, I have such a better understanding of what my clients go through, and as a result, it's um, it's made me a better publicist. So. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that later. I'll just ask it now, though. So some of the things that maybe you've learned through this process, how does it help you appreciate better what the authors you represent go through in, in putting a book together? Right. Well, you know, there are two sides to the publishing uh, industry. As you know, there's the... Um, very solitary writerly side of it. And then there's the more public um, side. And um, I've always been more involved on the media portion of it, the public side and getting my clients uh, media interviews and getting them out into the world and not as involved in that um, solitary pursuit of writing. Um, but I know that um, now from having done it and edited it, oodles of times and working closely with my illustrator. Wow, it's such a sense of self-discovery. And all writing is that, I think. But, um, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. And um, it was also um, rather a deep dive into my husband's personality. And I had a great appreciation um, for the work that he did on this, because really he was the originator of the story. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, I just want to ask one more question related to this, you know, half marketer, half author now. Uh, were you able to turn off your marketing brain while you were creating this book? <laughs> 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 no, in fact, I think it was amped up because, um, you know, I find the marketing part so exhilarating. And um, I was really looking forward to that part of it. So as I was writing, there were kind of parallel tracks to what I was doing. I was writing, rewriting the manuscript, um, editing that, working with my editors, and out of that flowed uh, marketing ideas. Um, so I was always writing those down and I always do research. Okay, where can I, you know, find some place different to place this story? And so I was writing all that down, making contacts as I did the writing. So it was very parallel track. So I never, <laughs> never shut it down. Well, you know, that's actually pretty good because a lot of times writers will shut down their marketing brain side of their brain when they're writing, which is fine if you're really deep into it. But also you've counseled people and other publicists I know have as well, that you got to always have your eye on that marketing side too, as you're working on the book. You can't wait until you type the end to start thinking about marketing, can you? No, absolutely not. A writer will do themselves a great injustice to their work, to their craft that they spent so much time on. So the the marketing kind of buoys the writing. It's a it's kind of a I think of it as a safety net for the writing where it can land softly after you write the end and move That's forward. Good. 
That's good. Well, let's talk about the origins of the book because you ha- have an interesting story here. You, you got foreshadowed it just a moment ago. In your preface, you dedicate this book to Yates, uh, your late husband. Tell us a little bit about Yates Davis, how he got the story for this book started, and your decision to keep the story moving forward after he died. Mm, right. Well, Yates was... Um, yeah, he was an original, and he was Southern to the core, and it was absolutely fun being married to him. And he was brilliant, and I'm not just saying that um, because I knew him so well, but he really was. I learned something new from him every single day, and we laughed a lot in in our marriage. Um, he could have been a comedian, really. I mean, we, um, you know, uh, laughed every single day, but. Um, Yates was very much like this little boy in the story in that he was rebellious. And um, he grew up with um, a single mom um, and he, he, they didn't have a lot of supervision. Of course, back in the days when we grew up, Landis, there weren't helicopter parents. <laughs> we had a great deal of freedom. And Yates, as a Southern-born um, little boy, ran around his little town um, of Taylorsville, North Carolina, um, with his two brothers and had great freedom. Uh, uh, and, and, you, and you said while you were under the covers reading books with a flashlight, he was under the covers with his transistor radio, dreaming about one day becoming you know, a disc jockey. And in fact, he did become an award-winning broadcaster and radio personality yes. uh, and a voice actor, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, his dream was to... Um, uh, be um, on radio. Um, it was just his love, and he had a great voice, and uh, one of those radio voices. So um, his dream came true. But um, anyway, he one one day his nephew asked him to write um, a story about witches and scary things, and you know Yates began that. But then life took off, and um, it kind of got pushed down on the list of things to do. Landis. Um, but um, when he was diagnosed with cancer, that urgency to life uh, kind of s- took over. And he went back to what he called it then, the Halloween story. And um, we worked on it um, because he wanted to fulfill that obligation. And also, I thought it was such a clever story, although it was in its uh, you know infancy um, at the time, the manuscript, you know, it was rather clunky language, um, but the germ of the story was so clever and inventive that um, he wanted to finish that. So how does it feel now, Linda, to, to know that you have been able to take what he started and finish it? Well, it, um, you know, this book is so full of meaning for me. Um, it was really like finding a love letter. Um, and it was a lifeline that pointed me forward, Landis. Um, and it was a slow simmer for a long time. It was it marinated in my mind um, after it got tucked away. Um, again, um, in the beginning, my emotions were just too raw to, um, you know, do it. But um, I'll tell you, it's it's a great feeling of satisfaction, and um, I I think Yates would be proud of the result. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, well, um, 
You uh, a couple more things about you, and then we're going to dive into this book here. Um, is it true you still don't have a television? I do not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, okay. So, so, so you have plenty of time to read, right? <laughs> I know. A television also stands for time vacuum. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you, you yes, just, but... so you have plenty of time to read. You have plenty of time to work on this book because you have no TV. Uh, and you describe books as the greatest time machines ever built. Uh, mm. Do you travel often through books? Oh, wow. Books are um, portable dreams. Um, they're, it's, you know, it's just such a, um, I, I think the definition of hell is being somewhere without a book. <laughs> I have a book with me everywhere, in my purse, in my car, everywhere. So I'll, you know, I stand in grocery lines with a book. I don't care how long they are. You know, I've got a book. So yes, books to me are adventure and um, um, solace and comfort and company. And we learn about ourselves uh, through books. They teach us about other cultures. Uh, books are just uh, just amazing yeah. things. It, yeah. And, and, and I want to just share with the listeners, a little, give them a little bit of a sense of, of who Linda Bouchard is. That is, after we did one of our uh, sticks together, you sent me some socks. And the socks... <laughs> The socks said on them, bookmarks are for quitters. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, okay, there you go. That's the philosophy right there. Don't don't quit. Just read the whole damn book and move on to the next book, right? <laughs> That's right. All right. Look, let's let's talk uh, a little bit about the book here. First impressions, the book cover. They say that the cover, you know, really tells a lot about the book. And in this cover, you've got a a really nice illustration. All the illustrations of the book are fantastic, by the way. How did you find your uh, illustrator you. and had that Thank come together for you? Thank you. Yes, I'm very proud of the illustrations. And Cody Kratzer uh, is an amazing illustrator, and she was a blast to work with. Uh, we had the same creative sensibilities, and we, oh my gosh, it was just amazing to work with her. But I found her through um, another author that I was working with. Um, I kept this project entirely Southern, so I sought out a Southern um, illustrator, and she lives on the coast in South Carolina, and was working with another author, a uh, client of mine, and I really liked the cover of the book. Um, and I, you know, asked her, who's that? I mean, you know, who's the illustrator? I really like that. So that's how we got together through the reference. Um, and it was just a perfect collaboration. And I did, I wanted a fantastic cover. And we spent a lot of time perfecting it because uh, I know that it's the number one marketing point, uh, the cover and the title. So that was important to me. Yeah, and and we're going to just talk about both of those because of what you just said. Um, and and by the way, listeners, the cover of the book will be in the show notes at charlottereerspodcast.com as long as other information about Linda. But Linda, let's describe for our listeners what they see on the cover of this book. Right. Well, um, it is very, it's a colorful fall theme. Uh, it's three witches in the dark forest uh, dancing around a bonfire with the little boy hunkered behind um, a tree trunk looking at them. He stumbled upon these three witches uh, in the in the dark woods. 
Well, you have to be observant. It's like, where's Waldo? I was looking, I just now saw the little boy down in the bottom right hand corner. <laughs> hiding, hiding behind, because my, my eyes were drawn to the to the witches and good. the bonfire in the, in the center of the story. So, uh, that's good. yes, it's a very colorful. It's got a lot of oranges in it. It's got some sort of dark blue background with these eyes that are coming out of other trees and that kind of thing. Uh, so let's talk about the title, The Witches 3, mm-hmm. Count on Me. Tell, tell us where that comes from. Right. Well, initially it was called The Halloween Story and then The Halloween Riddle um, because there's a riddle that is a centerpiece of this story and it's a counting riddle. So it's kind of a double entendre. Um, the witches are counting on the little boy to fail and so they can capture him and also the counting riddle. So thus, the witches three count on me. There you go. All right. So uh, on Charlotte's podcast, we have the authors do uh, a reading from their book. You're going to uh, read uh, from the beginning of the book for a little bit. And uh, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. I don't think we need to give an introduction since you're starting from the beginning. So anytime you're ready, Linda, just take it away. All right. Here we go, Landis. My favorite Eve is here at last. It's Halloween tonight, full of candy, tricks, and costumes, and lots of spooky fright. But first, I need to eat the peas awaiting on my plate. Instead, I tell my sister she is ghastly, but our pumpkin sure looks great. My mother says I told a fib that made my sister cry. She sends me to my room to think till I can tell her why. I'll play a trick on her, I say, and run off behind her back. I take a path through forest trees, twisted, burned, and black. And there I come upon a sight, three witches dancing round. I hide my frightened self behind a tree trunk near the ground. They dance a dance, a wild-eyed jig, indeed a fearsome scene. It's their night. It's scare night. It's their Halloween. Around their green and skinny necks hang chains of dried out bones, and on each head so hideous, black hats in pointy cones. Creepy curly toes peek out from tiny tattered shoes, twirling, shouting, shrieking. They holler high halloos. To my surprise, I see six eyes in search through evening gloom. Six eyes spin round and look for me beneath the rising moon. Six eyes light up and full of glee, they see their boyish gain. Six eyes find me. I gasp and groan and feel my spirit wane. Fast as flames, I spring right up. Watch me, I will flee. But before my daring dash begins, three witches circle me. A bitter wind rolls through the wood as one hisses to her coven. Looky, look, our guest is here. Just perfect for our oven. But she pulls me on her narrow broom, her voice a cackle loud. Rise up, rise up, forsake the earth for sky and thundercloud. My fingers squeeze with all their might. We soar above the trees, swooping, sweeping across the sky like bats upon the breeze. The wind and mist caress my face. We hurtle through the night. I cannot see how high we fly. My eyes are squeezing tight. With a whooshy bump, 
we land at last onto the rocky ground. Where, oh, where are we, I ask, and slowly look around. The witch's hut stares back at me, adorned with webs and vine. If my mother searched for all her days, this place she'd never find. Then they toss me high and through the door, a squirming and a twitching. Across a grimy floor, I slide into the witch's kitchen. It's hot and steamy, full of smoke and things I shouldn't eat, like jars of bulging lizard eyes and cans of buzzard meat. In the middle, tall and scalding, a giant stove is burning with a portly pot, just my size, boiling, belching, churning. This is when the witches three begin to use their power. It's clear that they loathe children on any day or hour. They chase me round the bubbling pot. Round and round go we. I duck and weave and zig and zag, but they finally corner me. I'm outnumbered three to one, their figures looming tall. Just wait, I say. Let's play a game. It's trick-or-treat time for us all. The witches three don't make a peep. They do not dance or sing. Have they heard the rumor? Quick trickery is my thing. We'll play my favorite counting game. A riddle it will be. No one yet has guessed it right. Can you, oh, witches three? Witches are not good at riddles. It's true. They just are not. This one is sure to save me from the boiling pot. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hope it does because uh, he's in tight quarters there with the... Uh... <laughs> Three, three witches put him in a boiling pot that's just his right size, right? <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. He got so, himself in trouble. Yeah, so that's, that's nice. So um, have you always um, enjoyed rhyming, uh, writing these little ditties here that, uh, that rhyme, or is this something you took on because that's the way Yates started it? Um, well, I... Well, I've always been a writer and I've written, um, you know, throughout my life. So I have a, you know, an ear for language. But um, Yeats's original manuscript was rhyming, although it was rather clunky um, at the beginning. Um, so uh, the, the thesaurus, the dictionary and rhyme zone were always at my side. But it took a great deal of editing and I hired professional editors to help me with the uh, developmental story as well as copy editing and to tighten it up so that it had a good rhythm and flow. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, it's funny because you're writing these, and I've done these over the years too, you're trying to find that right word that fits in, in, in the Towards the night before Christmas, there's this one line that breaks us up every year. It's where they try to rhyme roof with hoof. It's like hoof <laughs> and hoof. <laughs> so, so I'm sure you probably ran into times when you're you're doing this. The words, they look like they might rhyme, but they don't actually. And then you got to figure out, okay, how do I make this work, right? Right, exactly. And I guess that could work if you're from the Northeast yeah. or something. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I saw in your dialect. Right. Uh, well, um, so... This little boy, he gets sent to his room after making his sister cry on Halloween night. And so he decides to run away. He goes in the woods. He stumbles on these three witches. They're, you know, they're doing what witches do on Halloween. They're dancing around a, you know, a, a big campfire. 
and uh, he finds himself in this spot. Um, let's let's talk a little bit. So in addition, you've got this. Uh, you got the great illustration. You've got this story. That's and by the way, you're very well. Nice reading there. Kind of brought it to life, Linda. That was nice. Uh, and uh, so you got this. You got us going there. Um, talk a little bit about the themes of this book uh, because uh, mm. you talked about the story. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to give away the riddle, but of course we're not going to, this doesn't have a sad ending. He doesn't end up getting bored alive. That wouldn't be a nice, it wouldn't be a nice children's book if it turned out they, they got the riddle and, and put him in the pot. So he does, he does go back. And, and so he learns yep. from, from this. So talk a bit about the themes. Uh, you got some cleverness, you got the numbers, right. uh, the witches and the witchcraft. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Right. Yes. And it does have a happy ending. So not to worry, folks. But um, yes, it's a theme of and um, Yates was very specific about this. He wanted the boy to be smart and use his brains instead of his brawn to get out of trouble. And it also is a teaching tool, a very um, clever teaching tool and learning tool for early readers, ages five through nine, uh, to learn to count. And also it has um, a, a great, uh, some life lessons on how to think differently, um, how to think um, on your feet when you come across something unexpected and not be afraid. And you know what? Adults don't have all the answers and these witches surely did not. So it's about bravery and being brave in the face of trouble. Yeah. And uh, it's nice because at the end he's wanting to let his mother know, you know, what he learned and where his thinking led, so to speak, and how he was able to get out of a jam. And it's, it's sort of like yes. try, trying to figure out how to, um, you know, what all adolescents go through is that period between, okay, trying to become an adult, trying to work yourself out of, out of different jams. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about how you balanced uh, writing this book. Uh, we're sort of shifting to the writing life for just a minute. Balance writing this book uh, with the business of promoting other people's books, because this is, it's kind of like trying to run a podcast and write a book or <laughs> kind of like trying to do lots of different things and write a book. So how did I, you balance that time? Well, it was very, you know, it was tricky because I had a, a full stable of clients um, when I began this. Um, but as I proceeded on it and saw how much it took, and people mistakenly think it's easy to write a children's book, but it's not. Um, I was talking to Mary Alice Monroe, um, who also writes children's books. And she said, Linda, it takes me longer to write my children's books and it does my 300 page novels. So because every word needs to count, every word is so important. Um, but as I found that the it was going to be time intensive, I pushed pause on um, my business and just did consulting. I didn't do all the heavy lifting and the uh, media outreach as I normally would. I shifted back to just consulting work. So I would have time to do this and I wanted to, uh, you know, complete it uh, in the right way. I wanted to give it my full attention. Yeah, well, you made, you made a good point there. I mean, I, I talked to novelists who also write, you know, shorter works. And uh, you know, when you write a piece of flash fiction or a short story, and now you're talking about children's books, it's often, as you say, more difficult to try to compact everything. And it's kind of like what Mark Twain said one time, if I had more time, I'd write you a shorter letter, you know, 
<laughs> if I had more time, I, if I had more time, I'd write a children's book instead of this 300 page novel, right? Absolutely. It is. Um, it, it is. You would. I agonized. I agonized over every single word. Right. Because it needed to count and it needed to have punch. And I called it I, I was I love editing. I love those red marks because it's making it better. And I call it walking the plank. If this word did not add to the story or it detracted from it, I pushed it off the plank. <laughs> And I hovered, I hovered over my delete button constantly. And it was always um, just continual editing, paring down, getting it tight, um, making the rhyme work. And then you had, of course, the illustrations that had to go along with that, because sometimes the illustrations would work alone by themselves. But they had to complement, it has to be a good marriage between the words and the illustrations. Good point. Well, maybe you need to write uh, a children's book for authors next time where a little boy who's writing a story runs into the woods and sees three editors dancing around <laughs> a, a bonfire. And it's a very scary, scary scene. You know? <laughs> I can do that, but we know who'll win, the editors. <laughs> no, the, the little boy might the little boy might escape and write his own damn book, you know. <laughs> His editors That's may try wonder- to... <laughs> okay, that's a yeah. great one. I love it, Landis. Yeah, Maybe we, can we do can a, co- we'll co-author it. Do, do a little parody there. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked about your right brain, left brain with marketing and, and writing and creating. Talk about some of the things, Linda, that you're doing related to this book that you brought from your own experience that maybe might be helpful to our listeners who are thinking about marketing their own books. Mm-hmm. Well, this is um, uh, unique because it, it's one of the beauties of a seasonal book and a holiday book like this Halloween book is, is that it comes around every year. So if I don't hit everything this year, I'll do it next year. But I'm trying to do as much as possible. And I'm looking at bookstore signings and um, um you know, pumpkin festivals. And I'm also bringing in my backstory as a flight attendant. And I'm going to uh, aviation podcasts uh, to bring that in and get in front of a new audience that way, because flight attendants and, and airline crew are great readers, and they have children also. So um, I'm bringing in my backstory uh to market that way, but um, looking at uh, holiday-specific um, venues. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that, that is a, a thing to think about. Don't just think about, um, you know, the whole book itself, but think about the themes in the book and where it, where it resonates and, you know, who would, you know, it might be a festival here. There might be bloggers doing things on Halloween or whatever. Um, it's the same reason I wrote Christmas books, Linda. It comes around every year, right? <laughs> Comes around every it's, year. It's evergreen. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't sell it off the first. You try to sell them next year. Maybe one of the, one of the, one of the holidays that it goes viral. But uh, uh, we talked uh, a little bit right. about yeah, we talked a little bit about your experience. Uh, you know what authors go through in creating their work, and uh, you mentioned that it sort of helps you. What are some of the things you might be taking back to your author clients now, having been through this process yourself, that maybe you weren't doing as much of before? Well, I have 
um, a great appreciation for being overscheduled. And I used to do that with, I'm like, more, more, more is good. But wow, it um, it's a lot of psychic energy to uh, put yourself out there and just the anticipation of it for a lot of clients um, is they agonize over it. Uh, so I'm more appreciative of that. And um, I've always been empathetic to what is comfortable for them. I try to work inside their comfort zone, but outside the box. Um, but I I have a great deal of um, you know, compassion for what writers uh, do and how vulnerable it, it is such a vulnerable place. And boy, I'm a publicist and I have pretty thick skin, but I put my book out there for a few early reviews, um, which I find is very helpful. Um, but, you know, I was like, you know, whoa, what? <laughs> but, you know, you got to, uh, you got to buck up and have that tough skin and not take it personally. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I bring um, another layer of insight to what I do now, which is very helpful. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, it's a fun book, uh, great illustrations. Uh, you can hear the the rhyming scheme. So well done by Linda when she read here uh, earlier on the show. Um so, Linda, do you think this experience is going to cause you to want to write another book or are you sort of uh, you got that behind you? And now you got to get back to, to doing the marketing side full time again. Well, I, you know, I would love to write another book. Um, this has been such a joyful experience for me. It really has. Um, it's It's been a creative journey and I've learned so much. And, um, um, you know. I just loved every part of it. So yes, I would. I'm not sure what what it will be, but yeah, it's it's simmering on the back burner. There you go. All right, let's go. Well, listeners, you can find out uh, more at charlerspodcast.com. We got all Linda's information there. You can see the book covers. I said, uh, check it out. Uh, don't be too afraid, even though it's Halloween. You'll you'll get through it. It'll be fine. You know, <laughs> witches won't get you. The riddle, the riddle solves all the problems. So Linda, listen, uh, it's been great visiting with you. Uh, I enjoy seeing you and thank you for participating on Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Landis, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.